Will you guys just stand with me as we read the word this morning? And just as Mark Foreman opened us this morning, let it also just be a physical representation that for, for you, Jesus is enough. And maybe you don't feel that. Maybe you don't think that. But the prayers that the Spirit would bring us to that place where it's him and him alone. And so let's read. We're in Mark chapter 3 this morning. Verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. This is the word of our God, and let's welcome Ryan to help us break it apart. Thanks, Lindsay. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome. Well, we get the message about this. Was that clear? Solid? Well, we just want you to feel like this is your home. And this is a large gathering of people on Sunday morning, and we just want to do everything we can to make you getting into a place where you can be known and know others is as easy and as simple as possible. So we're going to be out there looking to help you guys do that, all right? So to get into our, back into our series, Lean In, the Parables of Jesus, last week, if you didn't hear Mark Freestat's sermon on the Good Samaritan, okay, you got to hear it. It was so good. I was in the back, and I was walking out of the room giving fist bumps and shouts because it was that good. you got to hear it. Go for a walk this week and listen to it on your earphones and listen to the, his great message. This week, we are in this really, almost, it's going to be a little bit bizarre for some of us who are not sure what to make of this spiritual realm that Jesus is going to dive us into. So to give us some context, i got two words for you. Escalation and disinformation. That's where we're at with Jesus right now. Let's talk about the escalation that is going on around Jesus as he teaches this parable. Number one, in verse 22, the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem, so the big dogs are coming. And they're coming from Jerusalem, right, the headquarters of all the religious leaders. And they come down, a group of scholars, because they're catching wind about this upstart teacher who's saying things that are overturning their conventional traditions. He is teaching, he is healing, and he's kicking demons out, and he's exerting a level of authority that is disrupting the status quo. He's freaking people out. And so the Pharisees, they are trying to wrap their mind around what he's doing, and the crowds are asking, is this strong guy, this guy that's knocking demons out by the dozens, is this guy legit? And they're wondering if the source of his authority is to be trusted. Can you relate to that right now? Can you relate to wanting to know, hey, is this good? Can I trust this? Is this legitimate authority? And so the Pharisees, they're threatened by this authority because it doesn't align with them and the way and the power and the control they are hoping to have over their culture and society. And so these religious leaders 
they start having to spin because as Jesus is healing people, it's kind of like irrefutable evidence that what Jesus is doing is legit. So they got to come up and make a spin. So here we go. Verse 22. Here is the disinformation. Verse 22. He is possessed by Beelzebul, which is just a nickname for Satan, all right? So don't get too thrown off by that. Uh, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. In other words, he's possessed by Satan. That is how he's doing it. And so that's their little way of discrediting Jesus. And so because of that, Jesus has to respond, and he responds the way that he loves to. Not by a direct frontal attack, but he tells parables. Okay, in verse 23, do you remember what parables are about? Do you remember how we started this whole series? Parables means literally alongside, to put two things alongside each other, okay? So Jesus is going to put up these political social models of a divided kingdom, a divided family, up against this idea of what they're saying he's doing, that he is Satan to destroy his own work, okay? And he's going to put these alongside each other to show how foolish it is. And then we're going to dive into this parable about the strong man. So first, we're going to unpack the divided kingdom parable. What is Jesus saying here? What does it mean for us? And then secondly, the strong man. And what is Jesus trying to say to us today through this parable of the strong man? Here we go. First, the divided kingdoms. Let's dive into that and what he's saying with these things right here. Verse 24 to 26. How can Satan drive out Satan? That's how he starts off. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Now, he's going to use two sort of examples. Right, here we go. If a, how, or if a kingdom is divided against itself, um, it cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Can you relate to that? Have you ever seen that happen? Right, if, a, if couples are divided, they can, their family cannot stand. If a kingdom is not divided, it cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. So what, what is Jesus trying to do with this parable? Now, remember, this is about Jesus' authority. Is his authority from Satan or is it from God? Is it good or is it evil? And they're wondering if it's evil because it's not conforming to their traditions, remember? And it's threatening their own authority base. So Jesus draws on a political and a social model. One, something we can relate to today. This is 2,000 years ago, but can't we relate to this idea that a household divided against itself, it cannot stand? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen a kingdom divided against itself not standing? This is true about governments. This is true about churches. What does it mean to be divided? There's a lot to say here, but let's just pause and ask that. What does it mean to be divided? I want to give you an example in relational terms. It is when... The other person that you don't agree with is 100% wrong, and you are 100% right. There it is. <laughs> divided. Being divided is not about having different opinions or conflicting ones. That's not necessarily division. Division is when we can no longer see the merit in the other person, and they are 100% wrong, and we are 100% right. That happens between couples, right? Doesn't that happen between us couples? Come on now, couples. How easy is it? She is 100% wrong. He is 100% out of his mind. Are you with me? And it's so hard in these moments to see. It becomes a bit of a black and white scenario. And it's hard to see. Okay, 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 okay. I see your point. I see what you're saying. There's some merit there. When you can't see that, 
When you are 100% right, which we know is never true, right? Is that right? Are we? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If, are you ever 100% right? Uh, not where it counts. Yeah, yeah. Two plus two is four. Okay, fine. Here's the point. These are moments of division, and they divide churches. They divide countries, and they divide families. Now, what is Jesus doing here? Check this out. Let's go a, a level deeper. Jesus is drawing on a historical example they can relate to about kingdoms. Do you know that in 930 B.C., 930 years before the time of Christ, Israel was divided. There was a civil war between the northern and the southern kingdom. Sound familiar? It didn't go the way our country went during our civil war. It literally fractured that country into two separate countries. In that division, when Jesus is like, come on, when a kingdom is divided, it falls. Remember? And they're like, oh, uh, yeah, uh, that's true. So he's like, look, if we know that a divided kingdom doesn't work, how much more does Satan know that? And so right here, he is breaking down their argument and showing how foolish it really is. He's basic because these guys are basically saying that Satan is trying to overcome God's goodness with more goodness. Is that going to work? It's not going to work any more than God's people trying to overthrow evil with evil. Are you with me? Because the ends don't justify the means. How we do what we do is as important as why we do it. And he's like, you can't overcome evil in the world with evil. And Satan, he's not going to try to overcome God's goodness with more goodness. No. That's ridiculous. So what is Jesus doing? He's showing how foolish this argument is. He's showing what his ministry is not. And now he talks about what his ministry is. This is where it's going to get juicy. Buckle your seatbelt. It's going to get a little challenging for us 21st century people. All right, here we go. Verse 27. We're going to talk about the strong man. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Okay, I want you to turn to a friend, a neighbor, like right here. Boom, you two guys. Turn a little talky talk. Who is the strong man? Let's go to the next slide. Who is the strong man in the parable? All right, there's the strong man, and then there's this thief that breaks in and steals. But who is the strong man in the parable? Who is Jesus referring to? Take 15 seconds, turn and share. What do you think? Come on, share. Go ahead and talk. You talk while I get my water. You got it? You got to figure it out? <laughs> no, really? Okay, here we go. Okay, this is how I would break it down. When I'm reading these things, before I go to a commentary and get the answer, because you can just do that, all right, it's a cheater, you just go right to commentary, um, I kind of try to really wrestle through it as if I was really there. And this is what I'm asking myself. I'm asking myself, number one, who could this parable be? Who is the strong man? Now, is Jesus referring to himself? Because our minds are immediately drawn to Jesus being so strong, and we go, maybe he's the strong man. But is Jesus saying that he's the one tied up and plundered? Is he the one who's getting tied up and plundered? Yeah, probably not. So we're going to throw that out. So who might he be talking about? Let's go to the next slide. Now watch this. The strong man represents Satan. Because 
I don't know about you, but in the world, it sometimes feels like evil really is the one getting the upper hand. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of us are right there, where it feels like sin, sickness, and death, and corruption, or injustice just seems to be the one winning the day. And there are moments in our life when it can feel like evil looms large, and it's hard to imagine somebody else stronger or anything else stronger. Satan is a strong man, but also in the parable, this guy came up to me afterwards, we were debating this, and I think he's got a good point. I think also the Pharisees are the strong man because they have this cultural, political power, and they're not using it to open the way to God through Jesus. They're, they're using their power to obstruct and block people. So they're the strong man too. That's why they're so threatened. Check this out. The house, it represents, the house in the parable that's plundered, it represents those who are, are, I'm sorry, the house represents the world as the sphere of Satan's authority. I know that sounds weird, but check this scripture out. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So even Jesus acknowledged that Satan has an authority and a power here on earth in our midst. Now let's go to the illustration of the circles. And let's talk about Satan's kingdom for a minute. That's what we're looking at. There's, there's the kingdom of God. There's the kingdom of Satan. Really, the kingdom of God in the blue should be huge. It should fill up this whole screen. And Satan's kingdom should be like this. This little thing right here. You know, but I didn't draw that right. Sorry. But that's what we should be seeing. Now, the possessions of Satan that are being plundered, they represent those, get this, who are not yet under Jesus' leadership. Does that make you uncomfortable? To put it in those terms. If you're not under his authority, then you are under the authority of Satan, this kingdom of evil. And we'll explain that in detail in a minute. The one who breaks in, the thief, well, that's Jesus. And then the binding of the straw man, what does it mean to bind him? We'll talk about that. That is Jesus' work on the cross. And that's why the cross is so important to us Christians as we try to understand what God is doing in the world. And then lastly, the plundering of Satan is Jesus' ministry. And get this, the church's ministry. You get to plunder too. This is awesome. All right. So Satan has authority and he has power here on earth. And Jesus is not disputing that. And we can see that in the world, that there is evil. How does the evil one work? Let me break it down into three things, okay? Number one, he deceives. If we're going to understand how Satan works in a biblical perspective, he deceives, he disheartens us or discourages us, and he distracts us from God. He deceives us. He, he's the father of lies. He discourages us with accusation, condemnation, and despair. resulting in anxiety, depression. And he, get this, he distracts us. A little bit of this maybe. He has all kinds of tools in his belt. Now listen. Verse 22, or I'm sorry, no, verse uh, chapter, yeah, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. 
If that's the realm of the sphere of his authority, how does he work? Check this out. Ephesians 2.2. Let's put it up. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Now look at that connection. Sin. This is why Christians take sin so seriously. Sin is a result of obeying Satan. When we sin, we're not just doing something that we shouldn't do. We're actually acting in a way that is relationally, spiritually aligning us with spiritual beings that are not not of God. Let's go on. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work. Get this right here. In the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now, this is really important because who, how we live our lives, who we obey dictates how we experience the spiritual world. When we sin, we are, lived, we are in that moment making a choice to obey not just our own impulses, that too, for sure, and we'll learn about that, but we're also acting in accordance with evil spirits. Now, does that trip you out? But that's real. And that's what Jesus is trying to open our eyes to, the spiritual dynamics that are at play. We think we're all operating in a vacuum on our own. And Jesus is saying that's not true. And that there are evil spirits that we work in conjunction with when we sin. Now, get this. What that means is that we can never see sinful choices as being disconnected from evil beings. They are interconnected. So that when we sin, we are aligning our life with spiritual forces of evil. When we obey God, we are aligning our hearts, our families. We are aligning our whole life with God's spirit. But what does this look like? This is like hocus pocus, like something out of a sci-fi movie. What does this look like? Let me break it down to you into our everyday life. My wife was at the post office, and I had to make a choice. If I was going to align with God or with this kingdom of evil. My wife said to the post office, she, our, our oldest son was being really loud, wasn't putting up with that line, and he was making a ruckus, and people started shouting. Someone shuts up my wife, shut that kid up. And someone yells, like, don't yell at her. And then the, the clerk behind the counter, yeah, you tell that woman to get that kid to shut up. And it's a full riot in the post office. The post office went postal. Mayhem is breaking out. She calls me, and she's like, people are shouting. People are telling me to shut my kid up, and they're telling me it's my fault, and I, I should just leave, and I get, oh, come on now. Now I am just like, right there, I am hijacked. Wow! I am so mad. I am preparing a sermon. I fold up that sermon, boom, and I'm in the car, and I'm driving Mach 3 to that post office. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to walk in there, and I'm going to put that postal worker in their place. Because the other people, they'll probably be gone, but I'm going to get in there. Are you going to mess with my wife and my kids? Oh, game on. Braveheart is coming out. Braveheart. And I am just like in mode. And I am fantasizing about the wrath that I am about to unleash. And I'm going to like get that person fired, and it's going to go down. And I get this thought in the midst of my hijack. Um, call your pastor. And at the time, I was going to a different church. This was like some years ago. And I called up my pastor, and I said, hey, okay, uh, this is what happened, and this is what I'm doing. Am I cool? Because this, you know, I'm hoping he's going to back me up because I'm going in there to lay down the law. Am I cool? Am I all right, pastor? And he's like, 
you turn that car around right now. <laughs> right now, you're not going in there like that. You're just going to make things worse. Because you are going to go in there and bring the wrath of Ryan, and you're not going to make room for the grace of God. Don't do that. Now I've got a choice to make. What am I going to do? Man, i got to tell you right now, that's what I'm talking about. That is this tension. Can we go to that slide where they're interlocked? That is this tension right here that we feel between these two kingdoms, the kingdom that wants us to do what makes us, us feel vindicated, in control, like Ryan's will is getting done, and I, you know what? I'm sure my will is God's will too, because it feels so good. <laughs> it's got to be God's will. You know what I'm talking about? It gets confusing. See, Satan's kingdom is not about some weird cultic place behind the scenes with a bunch of people in black shrouds and stuff like that. You know, that's not what it's about. It's these everyday moments where we have to make choices. Am I going to make a choice that is honestly aligning with God's will? God, what do you want here? What will reveal you here? What will bring your love and your truth into the scene in this moment? Is Ryan's wrath going to do it? No. So I decided, okay, I'm not going to do that. I told my wife what I was about to do, and she just almost freaked out. She's like, if you would come in there like that, I myself would have kicked you out of there. <laughs> She's like, you would have been embarrassing me. It turns out that that woman who worked behind the counter, uh, she actually lives in our complex. <laughs> my wife's like, that's her right there. We were at a HOA meeting or like a, yeah. There she was. Got to know her. I'm so glad I didn't rage on her. Wouldn't you believe it? She's dying of cancer. Probably having a bad day. I can't imagine how much I would have regretted going, oh, yeah, there's that guy. Can you imagine me trying to talk to her like, hey, want to come to church? <laughs> You see, in that moment, there was something bigger at stake. And that's what Jesus is trying to wake everybody up to in us. That's what it means to walk in his kingdom and not in the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of Satan is the kingdom of me, where everything is just about me, and we can't see the bigger picture. That's what Jesus is trying to show. And here's the key line. What Jesus is saying is that someone stronger than Satan has arrived. Because in these moments, when we are facing evil, it feels like evil is the biggest kid on the block. And we lose sight of how big God is. Can you relate to that? For some of us in this room, it feels like evil is running the show on this planet. And we're afraid. We're afraid that our country is going to hell in a handbasket. We're afraid of what's happening in our marriage. We're so afraid of the evil that we see around us. And what do we do in those moments out of fear? We lock down and try to take control ourselves. That's the problem with living out of fear. Is it tempts you and leaves you vulnerable to taking things into your own hands. And you christen it and call it God's will. When it's just us acting out of insecurity, pride, and fear. That's how we get to a place of I'm 100% right you are 100% wrong, and surely this has got to be one of those moments. I'm driving to that post office. That woman's 100% wrong, and I'm going to get her fired. But then as I trusted God, I saw the bigger picture. Where do you need that? 
But what Jesus wants to open our eyes to is there's someone bigger than Satan and the evil that you see around you. And when we get our eyes fixed on him, that's how we get set free. The evil of sickness and sin and death that we see around us. For all the evil we see running havoc in the world, God's goodness is greater. Do you remember this verse? Light has shined in the darkness. And what? The darkness has not, or the darkness has overcome, has not overcome it. John chapter 1, verse 5. Listen to this. Let's talk about Jesus' ministry tying up and plundering Satan. What does that mean for us, and how do you get to be a part of that? Here we go. Colossians 2.14. What does it mean that Jesus tied up Satan? Look for it here. It says, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That's Jesus taking away our sin. Now watch this. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Now this is, next line is so good. Look at this. He shamed them publicly by pulling out his AK-47 and mowing them down. <laughs> now Peter wanted to pull out his sword, but nah. Jesus had a greater power to wield. Look at this. By his victory over them. What was that victory, everybody? That victory was him being stripped naked, betrayed by everybody, and on the cross praying for the forgiveness of his enemies. That victory, you remember that victory? That victory where he was vulnerable and stripped naked and accused of things he never did, that was his victory. And he carried that victory out to the cross. He died, and he not only did something for us, he showed us what our lives ought to look like. A life that is not trying to overpower our enemies with the world's strength, but with the strength and the power of God on the cross. And in that, he shamed his enemy and he stripped evil of its power over your life. Do you have confidence in that victory in your life right now? Right now in your life, do you have confidence as you look at the world and you watch the news and you look at your heart when you're alone, do you have confidence in that victory. Some of us here this morning have lost that confidence. Like the Pharisees, you've got your mind set on the strength of evil in the world and you've lost touch with the victory and the strength of God for you. There is no evil in this world, in you, that has been done to you that is greater than him. I went through five years of depression. Sometimes it's going through dark times that awakens us to the strength and the victory of God. Because up to that time, maybe we've been finding our hope in other things, our good looks, our personality, our careers. The people that we care about that are close to us, that God bless them, they cannot fill God's shoes in your life. It's these moments of darkness that awaken us. They're opportunities to awaken to the victory and the strength of God that is greater than anything else that we have put our hope in. I'm telling you this morning, God wants to reaffirm that victory in your life. He wants to get your eyes 
off the darkness and on him. Do you need that? Come on. Because he is put to shame whatever darkness is trying to tear you down. It says that Jesus disarmed Satan. He tied him up. So we're free. Check this out. What does this mean for you? Let's go to the next slide. This is what it means for you. Number one, it means you're free to know God. It means you're free to know God in a personal, life-transforming way. Number two, it means you are free to become like Jesus. It means the evil that you find in yourself, because come on, guys, it's here too. You are free to become like him. What does that mean? It means you're free for the fruits of the Spirit to take root in your life. Faithfulness, gentleness, generosity, joy, kindness, love, peace, patience, self-control. Could you use some of that? Come on. That's what Jesus is going to give you. And thirdly, you're free to join his mission. Not just know him, not just become like him, but to be a part of what he is doing. Every time you pray for someone who doesn't know God, every time you love them with God's grace, every time you invite someone to church and offer them a chance to meet Jesus, you are plundering Satan's kingdom. Come on now. Does that fire you up? This is not about, oh, when we give you the coolest, latest book, you know, the book club series. You're not giving them a cool movie reference. You are offering them the opportunity to live under the authority of God's victory over their life. His victory over evil, sin, depression, anxiety, pride, fear. Come on. You plunder Satan. When my friends invited me to the Pacific Amphitheater... Man, they put their reputation with me on the line. I thought they were a bit fanatical and weird. I did. I did. Don't worry. People will think that. But they were my friends, so I went. And it was that invitation that led to the changing of my life. Just that simple invitation. How about you? I want to invite the band to come on out. As the band comes out, I want to invite you to reflect as we go into this song, where are you? Before we close today, where are you in this whole cosmic drama. Okay, number one. Let's go back to the slides with the, with the circles. Can we go back to the circles? Yeah, here we are. Some of us are in the blue right now. The blue in this moment represents those of us who are kind of in a bit of a Christian bubble. We are surrounding ourselves with people who think just the way we think, and we're just trying to keep ourselves from getting contaminated by the world, and we're just waiting for Jesus to show up, and we are in what we call a Christian bubble. Come on now. If you are in high school, I'm really talking to you because you are surrounded with more people who don't know Jesus than most of the rest of us. So you have an opportunity. Because in high school, it was my friends that changed my life. Don't underestimate what God could do through you, even now. But the blue represents the Christian bubble. I know Jesus, and now I'm just trying to have the best life I can on my own with God. Now, the orange, it represents those of us who don't know Jesus. You are not under his leadership. And if you're not under his leadership, then you're under someone else's leadership. If you're not under the authority of God, then you are under someone else's authority. And let me tell you this. 
It's not God. And it's not yours. But the invitation this morning is for us to be with him in the green. This is where we are a part of helping others come into a life-changing, saving relationship with God. That's what this church is about. That's what we're about. Are you a part of that? Where are you on this and where do you want to be? Before we leave, I just want to give you a chance to just reflect and respond about where you're at and where you want to be. We're not a church that looks to guilt trip people or pressure people, but we are a community that wants to hold each other accountable to encourage, inspire, and challenge one another. And that's what I want to do for you right now. First, there's some of us here who have never surrendered our life to Jesus' authority. You're not under his authority. You're not under the authority of his victory over evil in the world. For some of us, that means we've never accepted Jesus as the leader of our life. And if you have never done that, and this morning you want to do that, I want to remind you it means two things. It means allowing him to have authority over your sin. And what's he going to do with his authority? He's going to forgive you. He's going to cleanse you. And he's going to begin transforming you into a person marked by peace, joy, kindness, and love, patience, and self-control. It also means that he not only is going to forgive you, but he is going to be the strength in your life when you face evil, and you will. You will face dark times. You can either do that with Jesus or without him. In this life, when you choose to do that with Jesus, it becomes permanent. In this life, when you choose to do it without him, that will become permanent in the life to come. But it doesn't have to be that way. You could just say, yeah, God, I'm, I need your help with my sin, and I need your help facing the darkness that's in the world. I want your help. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as your King, right now, wherever you're seeing, just put your hand in the air. It's a way of publicly declaring, God, I, get, I need you. I give my life to you. Go ahead, raise your hands in the air. I see, I'm going to... I see you. I see you. I see you, bro. I see you. I've been, I see you. Come on. Come on. Anybody else? It says in the Bible, I see you, bro. I see you guys. If you acknowledge me before people, I'll acknowledge you before my Father and all the angels of heaven. You raising your hand, it's not about you like only me or this church or anything. It's just between you and God. But there's something significant when we do it publicly. Because Christ was crucified publicly for you. He took a stand of love for you. And by raising your hand, you were taking a public stand to accept that love for yourself. I see you, bro. I see you. I see you. Okay. If you just raise your hand. I see you. I got you right there. If you raise your hand. Okay. If you raise your hand. Let's pray with you. Put your hands out like this. Just put your hands out. Pray this simple prayer. Jesus, I accept your leadership. All right, pray it out loud. Jesus, 
I accept your leadership and your authority over my life. I give you authority over my sin and over my choices and over my entire life. Forgive me, cleanse me, fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on now, come on. That's so good. That's so good. All right. Can I invite our prayer team to come on up? Our prayer peeps, where are you guys? They're going to come up. Okay, if you just raise your hand, I'm going to dismiss this, but one last thing. Before you leave, if you raise your hand, okay? You raise your hand, you raise your hand. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw you guys. We just want to give you a free gift, all right? You're not going to be whisked to a mothership, and we're not going to try to sell you a timeshare in Mexico. We just want to give you a free gift and pray for you so this moment is not just an emotional moment, but it takes root and it grows. Will you please just come up right now? We're going to be right up here. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be right up here. These guys with these lanyards, let them give you a gift. Let them pray for you. I'll be up here, and then you can go. All right, everybody. Have a great week. God bless you.